Warren Morris. It's a deep drive down the right field line. That ball is gone! LSU wins the College World Series on a home run by Morris! Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU Podcast. As always, thank you all for joining me. You know I had to run it back with the Warren Morris clip as LSU is your 2023 college baseball national champions securing the seventh title for this historic program and putting LSU back on top of the college baseball landscape right where they belong. So in this episode, I will give you my thoughts on the College World Series as a whole, some of the key moments for the Tigers and who played a key factor in that run to that national championship. And then finally, I'll end it kind of with some pitching thoughts, some hitting thoughts, and then, um, you know, just kind of an outro and a big thank you to everybody at the end. So as y'all know by now, you can always find the 60 Feet, 6 Inches LSU podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, all the other major audio platforms. This content is also available on YouTube on the 60 Feet, 6 Inches channel, and then also on Twitter. Make sure to interact with me. The handle is at 60FT6INLSUPod. So really quick, before I get started, I just want to say a big thank you uh, for all of the support this year. All the people that listened or watched my content, my content last year, and they carried over to this year. Thank you all for coming back. I appreciate it. And then to the new followers I may have picked up, thank you all for tuning in, uh, listening to the pod, watching it on YouTube, interacting with me uh, throughout the year on Twitter. So the support is much appreciated. And um, I just really appreciate all the feedback and very humbled by the response that I've gotten in year two, of really kind of year one and a half of the podcast. So enough of that. Let's get into it. And I'm going to admit, I've been a little light on content. You know, I was in Omaha for the first weekend. I got to see LSU plays game plays, excuse me, play games one and two. Uh, but I just wanted to take some time off to enjoy uh, the moment, to enjoy the experience. I was with my son up there for Father's Day and we had an absolute blast. And uh, actually, my last episode was after the Wake Forest loss. And at that point, to be completely honest with you, uh, I just didn't know if LSU had enough pitching to run the gauntlet through the loser's bracket. And boy, did they prove me wrong. They probably proved uh, most of y'all wrong as well. But I will gladly take that L as they steamroll their way to a national championship. So in this series, in this episode, I just really, really want to focus on the College World Series. Um, give you very quick, very, you know, two to three bullet point highlights on each game, what I thought was important. And look, you know, um, When the brackets were released, we knew LSU was on the toughest side, right? You had Wake Forest, the number one overall seed. You had Stanford, a very good team out of the Pac-12. And obviously you had SEC foe and previous uh, uh, series rival in Tennessee, who you faced earlier this year in Baton Rouge. And then we looked at the early bracket. I put it out there on Twitter. I said Florida was going to steamroll through that bracket. They had three very close games. But uh, in the end, no surprise that the Gators' talent won out. And they found themselves in the championship series just sitting there waiting and resting on the winner of the LSU side of the bracket. To me, the theme for the College World Series this year for the Tigers was pitching and then some unsung heroes, especially the Louisiana kids. And I'll get into that at the very end of the podcast. So make sure you stay tuned for my take on that. Really quick, game one, LSU uh, beat Tennessee 6-3. to I was there for that. The weather was amazing. The crowd was amazing. It was just uh, an electric atmosphere, right? And everybody could sense the tension in the air. As you saw, uh, Skeens go in that game. And he was fabulous, right? Facing Tennessee for a second time this year. You really didn't know who had the advantage. 
I said on the preview podcast, I thought it was a push. I thought both sides were going to adjust. But obviously, Paul Skeens was electric. He's the best pitcher in the country. He proved that potentially, the you know, really the best player in the country, uh, possible number one overall pick in the draft. And he was fabulous that night against Tennessee. He goes seven and two-thirds innings pitched. He strikes out 12 volunteers. Uh, Riley Cooper, which is a theme throughout the College World Series, came in to close that game by, fi- by throwing the final inning and the third. And if you remember, it got a little dicey there at the end, right, as Gavin Guidry gives up a first-pitch home run. Tennessee starts to build momentum before Coop shuts them down. Also in that game, you had Dugas get on the scoreboard as he uh, hit a home run for the Tigers. Joe Bear, if you remember, he almost hits for a cycle. Uh, he had a single taken away as he hit the pitcher's glove, or else he would have hit for the cycle as he blasts a home run as well. But in the end, the Tigers hold on in a, a tough contest as Tennessee really didn't start fighting until about the seventh inning, but LSU holds on for a 6-3 to three win. Moving on to game two, which I thought was a fabulous game that I was there. Um, you could really feel the anticipation in the year, right? I'd wanted to see LSU and Wake play since about the middle of the season, and what better place to make that happen than in Omaha. But unfortunately, LSU falls in a very good game as they drop this one 3-2 to two to Wake Forest. You saw Ty Floyd go against left-handed starting pitcher for the Demon Deacons, Josh Hartle, who was outstanding on the day. But Floyd was absolutely dominant in game two. He knifed through, quote-unquote, Rake Forest and one of the best offenses in the country through five innings until he got to that sixth. And whether you want to call it a tight zone or he just lost his release point, three walks to lead off the sixth inning does tie Floyd in. But I said before that, um, I looked at my son. I was like, he is absolutely rolling. Maybe the best outing of his career. We'll get to that a little bit later. But on the day, Ty Floyd racks up 10 Ks and five innings pitched. The three walks were the killer for him. You saw Thatcher Hurd come in, and he did the best he could. He really didn't have a great breaking ball that day. That kind of came back to bite him in the bottom of the eighth as he left two breaking balls up with Corona. He had a leadoff double. Then uh, Bennett Lee, I think, had a single to drive in Corona, and that was ultimately the winning run for Wake Forest. Um, In terms of the Tigers hitting, they really struggled in that game. You know, they scored two runs early, but they just couldn't get anything going after that. If you remember, that's when Trey Morgan hit that ball to left field, and the left fielder lost in the sun, which led to a run. And um, it felt like the bats went quiet, but I felt the way Ty Floyd was throwing, um, keeping Wake Forest at bay. I really thought LSU was the better team in that game. It didn't show on the scoreboard, but I can tell you what, when I left that game, as I told you in the review podcast, I was really disappointed. I was really bummed out. I knew the task that lay ahead of them, and I, I was just uh, – I did. I doubted them for a little bit just because I just didn't know if they had the arms to get through the loser's bracket and what was awaiting for them the next day. <clears throat> and LSU proved me wrong. So they drop into the loser's bracket, game three for the Tigers. They face Tennessee, and uh, nobody really knew who LSU was going to throw, if you remember, right? You had already used up Hurd and Floyd the night before. Schemes was already done. So Jay Johnson and the staff turned to Nate Ackenhausen, who made his first start of the year for the Tigers. And, man, old nasty Nate was absolutely huge on this day. LSU shuts out Tennessee 5 to nothing. Nasty Nate goes six innings pitched. And then Riley Cooper comes in once again, and he cleans up, uh, finishes off the ball. So he goes to final three innings. Another impressive outing by Cooper in the World Series. But you saw Beloso get it going with a two-out RBI in the first. 
Uh, Cruz hit a two-run home run in the ninth to kind of seal the deal for the Tigers. And, um, you know, in a loser's bracket game with a lack of starting pitching, somebody had to step up. And in this game, it was Ackenhausen. Absolutely, he was the MVP of this game. And he really saved LSU's pin, right? He was able to get through six innings. You used Cooper. You needed to get this win, obviously, to stay alive and keep your season going. And um, just a massive gutsy performance by Nasty Nate. And uh, hats off to that young man for stepping up to the plate when LSU needed it the most. After they sent Tennessee home, then you got to beat Wake Forest twice, right? And you look around, you're like, who are we going to throw this time? And you're like, well, it's going to be a bullpen day. But you're going against Wake Forest's fourth starter as they decided to uh, save Sullivan, the lefty, who had kind of been their third starter all year. And I bet in hindsight, Wake Forest's coach uh, probably wished he would have started Sullivan. But LSU takes this game 5-2. to two. Um, It was a bullpen day, like I mentioned. Uh, Coleman started, and it was a little shaky. Then Money came in, and he was a little shaky. But the MVP on the day was uh, Griffin Herring, as the freshman left-handed pitcher was amazing. And he carved through Wake Forest lineup as well. Look, I've said it all year. Herring has got a massive future ahead of, ahead of him at LSU. And when he's able to relax, and you saw that later in the year, right, the more confidence he got – the less pressure he put on himself to perform. His stuff plays at the highest level. And you saw that in the uh, first game against Wake Forest in the loser's bracket. Herring goes four and two-thirds in his pitch, three hits, six Ks, and only one walk, which is massive because Wake actually led the country in walks. And um, really, really impressive performance by Herring to hold Wake Forest at bay and let the Tigers' offense get going. Um Gidry and Cooper come on in relief of Griffin Herring, and they shut things down. But if you remember now, this is the Creole Bambino. That's right, baby, the Cade Beloso home run game. As he hits a three-run home run, and I'm sure just like y'all, I got all these games run together, right, if you try to think back because they played so damn many of them, right? They played eight games. So I had to go back and do all the research and look at the box scores. But after the Beloso three-run home run, Neither team scored after the third inning. So after the third inning, it was just nothing but goose eggs from both pitching staffs just to show how good uh, one, Wake Forest staff is, right? They lived up to the hype. They were absolutely phenomenal. But two, the fact that LSU's bullpen guys and some freshmen can go toe-to-toe with a very heralded staff in the other dugout. LSU takes that game 5-2, to two, and then you know it's coming, right? The matchup that everybody in the country wants to see that every college baseball fan wants to see, that every pundit on every TV channel, every uh, D1 or ESPN broadcaster wanted to see, Skeens versus Louder in a winner-take-all game to get to the championship series. And boy, did that sucker live up to the hype, right? LSU takes this game 2 to nothing in extra innings. And this was one of, if not the best pitch games that I've ever seen. Um I got to give a shout out to my boy, Patrick Coogan. In 97, he battled it out with Tim Hudson uh, on a Friday night at LSU, and that game was electric. Um, everybody knows Tim Hudson. He was like a 15-year Major League Baseball pitcher, and that game was phenomenal. I was at a front row seat for that one. But this game, man, a lot of times they don't live up to the hype. Well, this one lives up to the hype. So I remember Skeens was going on four days rest. Nobody knew how much he would be able to give you, but, man, he more than delivered on this one. Nothing but zeros from both staffs. Skeens, eight innings pitched, two hits, nine Ks. Just a fabulous performance 
by the big man, the ace of the staff. He delivers once again on another massive stage for the Tigers. But now to be outdone louder was truly impressive. And he kind of, let's be honest, he carved up LSU's lineup for seven innings pitched. He only gave up three hits. He got early swings. It's really kind of pick your poison with louder, if y'all remember, right? He throws a ton of strikes. So he's constantly 0-1-0-2. So LSU was trying to be aggressive early. And it almost, uh, it was obviously, in loud, it worked to louder's favor, right? He wants early swings in the count. They were getting jammed a lot. They rolled over on a bunch of sliders, a bunch of two-seam fastballs. And I think the dude only had like 29 pitches through three innings, maybe 50 through five innings. So he was absolutely dealing. And uh, their staff decided to take him out a little bit early. He only goes seven innings. <clears throat> Hurd follows Skeens, and he deals for three innings, and he only gives up one hit. Uh, but this is the Trey Morgan play, right? Trey Morgan makes a defensive play of the year saves LSU's season as in the eighth inning he comes charging in from first base on a safety squeeze he's able to get the ball out of his glove make a clean throw to Malazzo who sweep tags the runner coming at home much like uh, Wake Forest did in the first game where uh, Wilkin the third baseman for Wake threw out Trey on that uh, bobbled ground ball this was uh, the same type of a play right something you practice a lot you just never know if you're going to be able to execute it in a game um game type scenario and Morgan a massive play just further evidence that he was the best defensive first baseman in the country hands down no argument uh, right there as he showed it time and time again throughout the college world series but not only is this a Trey Morgan play this is the Tommy Tanks walk-off play right so in the 11th Tank Tanks walks it off with a two-run home run driving in Dylan Cruz who led off the inning with a single as Tanks takes the first pitch he sees from all-world Wake Forest closer Cam Minacci, drives it over the left field fence, and LSU moves on to the championship series versus Florida. Tanks just came through again and again. I'm sure everybody's seen the quotes, how amped up he was. He was looking for a fastball, but he hung a slider, and he finds the barrel and sends it out the yard. In terms of the championship series, as you all know by now, Game one against Florida was Ty Floyd. Shove day. This dude not only topped his outing against Wake Forest, but it was probably um, the best game this young man's ever pitched in his entire life and the most important baseball game in his entire life up until this point. So not to be outdone by Paul Skeens, Floyd Shove day lived up to the hype. He, man, his fastball played so well against Wake until he ran into those walks, and then once again against Florida. We've talked about it all year. You've heard the announcers talk about how he's got that high RPMs on his fastball, and it just carries through the zone to where his 94 plays more like 96 and even 97 at times. And he just blew fastballs by the Wake Forest hitters, excuse me, the Florida hitters in game one all night. Ty Floyd set the College World Series records for the most Ks in a game that does not go extra innings, and he sets the highest strikeout total ever for an LSU pitcher in a College World Series game with 17, as he surpassed my former teammate Brett Laxton with 16, who did that as a freshman in the championship game against Wichita State in 1993. Floyd goes eight innings pitch. He gives up three runs, 17 Ks, only one walk, which is outstanding for that young man. And he put LSU on their back, right? You know, you had to use a lot of pitching um, against Wake Forest. <clears throat> It was a bullpen day, one of those games. Skeens was done. You know, uh, Hurd had threw the uh, night before. 
but uh, Floyd put LSU on its back and they get it done. Um, LSU ties the game up in the bottom of the eighth, three to three, and it's that man again, Tommy Tanks, as he hits a 0-2 pitch for a home run to tie up that game. And then in the 10th, just like Trey Morgan the night before, Josh Pearson comes through with an outstanding leaping catch to save the game on a really a smoked line drive to left field from Wyatt Langford. As if that ball gets over Pearson's head, Florida being the home team, that game was a wrap right there, and Florida goes up one nothing. But Pearson makes a uh, leaping catch going back to the wall right there. He's, he didn't quite get to the warning track, but he was definitely uh, hustling back there in left field. And then that brings up the Creole Bambino again, baby. Cade Beloso crushes a solo home run to right field in the top of the 11th. And then Raleigh Cooper throws the final three innings in relief of Floyd as he slams the door versus the Gators. So, you know, the game before, it was Skeens and Hurd. And in this game, it was Floyd and Cooper as Cooper had a fabulous College World Series. And he just, um, whenever LSU needed him, Coop stepped up. And uh, just absolutely dealt throughout the entire time LSU was in Omaha. In terms of game two against Florida, I'm not even going to get into that, right? Florida absolutely boat raced the Tigers 24 to 2, uh, 24 to 4, excuse me. So I apologize. Um, this game got out of hand early. LSU just couldn't recover. Uh, Ackenhausen wasn't able to repeat his success versus Tennessee earlier in the College World Series. And then LSU used kind of some lesser bullpen arms, knowing that they had to win the game the next day. Um, they wanted to save some of their um, arms that were just throwing a little bit better at the end of the year for game three. The only thing I want to touch on in this game, and I, I put it out a tweet um, after this game did happen, was just with regards to the mindset of the LSU players, because I've been in that situation. Um, 1997, <clears throat> the last SEC uh, series of the year. We need to win one game in Tuscaloosa versus Alabama to win the SEC regular season title. Uh, Friday night, we lose six to four. Saturday, we come out and get our doors blown off 28 to two. Yes, that is the correct score. You can Google it. Um, and it was, you could tell early that game was over, right? Very much, very similar situation to LSU versus Florida in game two. Um, one thing I will tell you though, when we walked out of the gates of that game, uh, we were pissed, we were embarrassed, and we were ready to move on, right? That game, you know as a player, that game is just like LSU did, right? That game was over in the sixth or the seventh. Jay Johnson started taking out some of the starters, putting in some young guys, which he definitely should have done to get them some experience um, in the College World Series. <clears throat> but those guys uh, were already flushing that game or moving past that game once they left the park, right? Uh, mentally, it was already behind them, and um, I guarantee you they were just like we were when we left the park, right? Pissed, embarrassed, felt like they left the program down, but they were definitely ready to move on. And I'll be honest, I think it's easier to move on as an athlete when you get your doors blown off and it's decided early as opposed to losing a heartbreaker in the ninth or in the eighth, three to two, right, to where you have to find a way to mentally recover from that game and get ready. And um while a lot of people on my timeline or on social media thought Florida had the momentum, I didn't really see it that way, right? They beat your doors off. It's no big deal. All that matters is the next game. You can't carry any runs forward, right? You still got to get 27 outs tomorrow. There's new pitchers taking the mound. And uh, LSU had a long time to rest, to uh, regroup, and they just came out swinging in game three. So 
Game three of the championship series, we all know what happens. LSU absolutely gets revenge on the Florida Gators as they steamroll Florida 18-4. to I love the fact that they completely whip their butt in the game that matters the most to top it all off. Um, a true revenge game, right, as they gave Florida some of their own medicine. It was ugly early. It was ugly often. And the best part is that LSU didn't let up, right? They kept the pressure on. They kept scoring runs throughout the game. They never took their foot off of Florida's throat. They never let them off the mat. And that was that killer instinct we've been waiting to see all year. Plus, it was a great time to have LSU's uh, best offensive output in the College World Series as they steamrolled Florida. The best part about this, right, they stuck to their game plan. They got Jack Caglione, who throws 96, 97 from the left side. He even got up to 99 against Trey Morgan. But if you looked at his numbers, he was very wild. He's hittable. Those wild pitches, he hits dudes, he walks people. I think he had like 50 walks in 80 innings. Now, he can be dominant, but he's total Jekyll and Hyde on the mound, and that dude was a uh, train wreck. And LSU attributed to that by not chasing balls out of the zone and getting into that Florida bullpen. <clears throat> Much the same way that Floyd was dominant in game one, and with his fastball, Thatcher Hurd got the start in game three, and um, he was amazing. His best outing of the year as an LSU Tiger. Uh, he continued to blow fastballs by the Florida hitters. I thought his breaking ball was the best that it had looked in some time, especially the best that it had looked in Omaha up until that point. Heard goes six innings pitch, two hits, seven Ks. Hands it over to Cooper for an inning before hands it over to the freshman Gavin Gidry as he closed it out with the final two innings. And he got to be on the bottom of that dog pile. And uh, LSU's bats were there all day, right? Executed to perfection. You saw some home runs go out the yard. It was great to see Joe Bear pimp that home run and not leave home plate till that sucker went over the fence. And in the end, LSU is your 2023 college baseball national champions. <clears throat> so really quick, just some final thoughts before I just get into some quick pitcher thoughts and some quick uh, hitter thoughts about what I thought drove the Tigers to that title in Omaha. This team played eight games in 10 days, right? They played the first weekend. They played Saturday, day off on Sunday, played Monday. Right. Then they played Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, day off Friday, championship series, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. OK, the mental fatigue of having to fight every inning once they dropped into the losers bracket, every pitch, every at bat, every ground ball, the focus and that is required to perform at that type of a level and the pressure that is at the highest level of college sports. Uh, can be crushing, can be defeating, but they found a way to rise to the occasion, to overcome all of that, put that aside, and just focus on playing the game of baseball. And on top of that, the fact that they beat the top two pitching staffs in the country and one of the most talented pitching staffs in the country in Florida, uh, who was completely rested, who had their pitching all lined up, was absolutely outstanding by this team. And that's what makes this run not improbable, but all the more impressive, which really go down as one of the best runs um, from a national champion ever. The only thing that's going to put a slight mark on that is the fact that Florida steamrolled you in game two, but in the end, it just really doesn't matter because who cares? Because you return the favor in game three. Lastly, <clears throat> before we move on here, if you don't get Skip, Ver Skip Bertman type vibes from Jay Johnson, then I don't know what you're looking at. Now, if you're too young to remember Skip, maybe go back and look at some old videos or try to figure out a way to listen to the way he talks. But the way Jay Johnson talks about the program, 
the way he talks about game and mental preparation for his players, for his staff, uh, focusing on the small things, right? He's very process oriented. Uh, I don't know what to tell you, but he is a, in my opinion, a young version of Skip Bertman, right? To where he, he already has the mental mindset that he doesn't get overwhelmed by the situation. He has the tools in his toolbox to prepare these players mentally and physically. And right, LSU has everything at their disposal from a, um, a weight room, a nutrition, uh, sleep coaches. They're going to do everything possible. They have the money in their program to make sure these players perform at their peak every time they go out there. But Jay Johnson, is it's really a pleasure to listen to the way he talks. Uh, and post-game pressers, win or lose, he's a, just an amazing representative uh, for this program and for this university. Also, his players seem to have uh, – they really love playing for him. They seem to have a great connection. Uh, goes both ways, right? The players to the coach and then the coach to the players. And if you look at the way he's recruiting, uh, high school players, um, portal players, his ability to identify what the team needs, and then at the same time, you can get quick fixes, quick plug-and-play guys like Hurd, uh, Skeens, Tanks, Little had an up-and-down year this year to where you can get quick fixes. But also you have to build a program at this level, right? You just can't get four to five Porter players every year because at some point you're going to miss. But you have to build the foundation. That's exactly what he's doing when you look at the freshman class he brought in and how they contributed this year and then what he's going to bring in in the next couple of years. All right, moving on here on the 60 Feet, 6 Inches LSU podcast, just kind of giving my summation of the College World Series that just wrapped up for the Tigers. <clears throat> really quick, just a couple of bullet points on pitching from my perspective. Um, if you've been following the program, I mentioned this after the Georgia Series. You could really see things start turning around, right? After that disastrous Mississippi State Series, they go to Georgia, they go on the road, they take two out of three. But, uh, <coughs> excuse me. I thought I saw things turn around really in the pen. Um, I thought you see things turn around with Thatcher Hurd. Even in that Friday night game, he gave up back-to-back -back home runs, which tied the game. He then stayed in the game, extended as that game went to extra innings, and really dealt from there on out. And I, I really thought you saw a ton of confidence uh, kind of develop, or he uh, started approaching things with a lot more confidence after that outing. You also saw Cooper start coming around around the Georgia series. Ackenhausen was getting back from injury. Herring and Gendry. Uh, we're throwing very well. So I felt very good about the pen, even in the SEC tournament after they lost those games. I said it on Hunt Palmer's show. I said it on the podcast. I thought, with Skeens and Floyd, you only need four to five bullpen arms to get you to Omaha, right? To get you through a regional, to get you to a super regional. And hopefully if you stayed in the winner's bracket, although that wasn't the case, to where you could go very far and you didn't have to use, you know, eight or nine bullpen arms. You just needed four, four, four or five guys uh, that you could trust. So Herring, Gidry, Cooper, Ackenhausen, and then Hurd was the big uh, key because he's your flex guy, right? He could close, he can extend if you put him in mineral relief, and then obviously he could start as well. Um, and you just saw the fruits of that come out in Omaha. Cooper, every time he went in, he was amazing. Hurd, I've spoken about him a ton. I thought Herring and his one appearance was massive. I thought he may get a shot in game three against Florida. But uh, Hurd carried the load, and they just didn't need him. And then uh, Gidry gave you some clutch outs when you needed him to throw as well. But to me, the key from a pitching standpoint at the College World Series was Ty Floyd. It almost like his career in this season kind of came full circle. 
you heard a lot of people talk in the beginning of the year. Remember, he started out in the pen, but Jay Johnson always said, if we're going to get to where we need to get to, Ty Floyd's going to have to be a dude for us. And he was at the end of the year. You know, he had some bumps in the road. He had some ups and downs. People didn't know if he, he should stay as the number two starter. But in the end, when it mattered the most on the biggest stage in the college baseball season, Ty Floyd, hopefully that young man made himself some money. Uh, I think he's going to be fabulous in pro ball. I think his stuff is and his pitching repertoire is going to continue to get better. And um, just kind of an amazing story in Ty Floyd and just what he was able to accomplish in the College World Series. A ton of credit should also go out to Wes Johnson. You know, I kind of questioned Wes Johnson several times throughout the year, and especially after that Auburn and Mississippi State series. It just wasn't clicking, right? You didn't know who was going to throw in the bullpen. When people came out of the bullpen, they didn't look great. I questioned some of his pitch calling and the way he attacked the zone. Obviously, I'm not at practice. I have no inside scoop. I don't know what their game plan is there. Obviously, they have a ton of analytics to go off of. But whatever they did as they went on the road to Georgia and subsequently in the SEC tournament, it worked. Um, to me, <clears throat> what I thought happened was that he finally realized I have guys that throw very hard. College baseball players still have trouble hitting a fastball, okay? They're in college for a reason. Nobody's hitting over, you know, 450, okay? Even Dylan Cruz finished the year around 420, okay? So more often than not, they're still going to roll over, pop up, strike out, okay? So I think Wes Johnson did something, or them as a staff did something to where they went with their strengths. They stopped uh, – you know, nibbling on the corners. They stopped trying to be too cute with two strikes, and all of a sudden it's 3-2, and their pitch count, you know, um, rises up. It looked like the walks really went down. And then they streamlined their bullpen to where they said, these are the four to five guys we're going to trust. These are the four to five guys we're going to throw moving forward, and we're going to stick with these guys uh, till the end of the year. So hats off to Wes Johnson. Whatever y'all did in those pitcher meetings, it absolutely worked, and uh, a lot of credit goes out to you. Moving on, some very quick hitting summations uh, from the College World Series. Look, the buttons that Jay Johnson pushed about three-quarters of the year through the SEC, through SEC play absolutely turned this season around. So remember, think about where the lineup was after Kentucky, right? In Kentucky, Dugas gets hurt, but you still have guys like Jared Jones that are hitting every day. Uh, Brady Neal is hurt at this time. Paxton Kling, I think, is still trying to come back from a hamstring injury. So – you know, Dugas comes back and he scuffles for like the next three weeks. Obviously, he's still hurt and he was still hurt in the College World Series. But he just, you know, that guy's a warrior, right? As many times as he got hit by a ball, he's a tough dude. Um, but you kind of saw Jay. That's when, you know, he sat Jones, who was struggling. So you put um, Morgan at first. Beloso moved into the DH spot. You put Pearson in left. And obviously, Joe Bear had taken over the right field spot. And that lineup for the rest of the year. A few ups and downs, maybe, but that lineup really rolled and really gelled, and those were absolutely the right decisions. Um, one of the things I admire most about Jay Johnson, and one of the things I've noticed, is his ability to trust his instincts, and he makes changes from the hitting side of things when he feels like they're warranted, right? He will tinker with the batting order all the way up until the last game of the season. You saw that when he batted Beloso first. I don't know who the hell thought that was going to happen. Nobody thought that was going to happen. But uh, Jay Johnson pushes the right buttons when it comes to the lineup. I don't always know what's going on. I question it just like y'all. I'm wrong on a lot of my um, takes sometimes when I look at the lineup. But uh, I do applaud him for that because some coaches will just pick their lineup. They'll stick with it. They won't get off of it even if guys are struggling. Um, 
You know, you saw him move Cruz and White and Morgan in different combinations throughout the lineup just to try to get them more at bats or, or uh, get them more protection. But and some some coaches just won't. Like they'll leave Dylan Cruz in the three hole no matter what every lineup for 71 games. But uh, that's what I like about Jay. He's not afraid to tinker. He's always going to do what's in the best interest of his team, and he's not afraid to experiment when he thinks whatever he's been doing isn't working. And uh, it's not always the case, you know. So we're lucky here at LSU to where he's just a very forward-thinking coach. Finally, Louisiana kids. And I want to mention this. Beloso, Dugas, Joe Bear, Morgan Pearson. Hats off to all these kids, and they all had massive moments in the College World Series. And I bring up Louisiana kids because of this, right? These are program players. They're from the state. They love LSU. They came here for a reason. And Skip used to call these guys bricklayers. When you're learning to get the College World Series, when you're trying to teach guys how to win at a high level again, right? Host a Super Regional, win a Super, get to the College World Series, try to win one game at the College World Series, try to figure out a way to fight your way through the loser's bracket try to win a game three in the national championship series. You need program type players that have stuck around and been uh, with the program through thick and thin, right? Guys that have been with the program for four or five years, they are the backbone of your program. I was a program player. Um, They love the school. They represent the state. They will put LSU on their back. And this is what is needed at a program like LSU. They set the example for the young guys coming up through the ranks, right? Kling, Neal, um, <clears throat> Jones, Fry, Herring, Gidry. They are all learning from the older dudes so that next year the freshmen can pass it on to the new freshmen coming in. They can now take on leadership roles, and they know what's expected of them and how to succeed at the highest level of college baseball. Um, make no mistake. I put this out on Twitter. Jay will absolutely, just like every other sport, Brian Kelly, Mulkey, whoever, Jay is going to recruit Louisiana first, go to the surrounding states, and then he's going to pull the studs of high school baseball from around the country and cherry pick guys when he needs to. But the backbone of LSU is and always will be and always should be built off the backs of Louisiana high school players. And that is how you build a program because they – they just know what it means to be a Tiger growing up. Um, you heard Thatcher Hurd talk about it in some of the pressers at the College World Series. Some of the uh, other transfers discussed the fact that the Louisiana guys took them under their wing when they transferred. Because, look, let's face it, right? It's different down here. Playing for LSU is different, right? The expectations are different. When you get four to 500 people out there for a, uh, a fall scrimmage, when you get you know, 6,000 people out there watching you play Nickel State. That doesn't happen at UCLA. That doesn't happen at Air Force. That doesn't happen at um, North Carolina State. Hell, that doesn't happen at Wake Forest. They set their attendance record as like 3,200, and that was like in the Super Regionals, okay? The only place that happens is in the SEC. But the only place that has seven national championships at the wall in the SEC and really in the country besides USC is LSU. So it's different down here. We know that. And we have higher expectations for our baseball players. And the Louisiana high school kids know that. And that's just good. I felt like I needed to mention about it, but it's just good to see those guys succeed, you know, in the starting lineup, all make plays, important plays to really, you know, key LSU to victory. Two quick things on crews and schemes, and they will, I will sign off for the 60 feet, six inches podcast. 
two of the most talented players that you will ever see play for LSU, and that's saying something, as you all all know. Skeens is probably the most talented pitcher in LSU history, just off of pure college talent, no idea what he does going forward, okay? It is the most dominant season from a pitcher in college baseball history, probably. Definitely at LSU, when you look at what he was able to accomplish, the manner in which he overwhelmed uh, the best hitters in the country, the winner of the Dick Hauser Trophy, and he's going to be a top three pick, if not the first pick in the upcoming Major League Baseball draft. It was a pleasure being able to watch that guy pitch in person as often as I did, and I hope everybody else got a chance to enjoy it. And I hope that you realize that you were, abs- you were watching greatness every time he took the mound on a Thursday or a Friday night in the SEC. Dylan Cruz, Golden Spikes Award winner, a top five player in LSU history. I know a lot of people will say the best position player in LSU history, and uh, potentially he could be, you know, top five, top three, whatever you want to be. Um, he's amazing. And his career at LSU is absolutely amazing. And I think he should probably have his number retired um, in a couple of years. They should go ahead and put him up there on the wall, just like McDonald and Walker and Furnace. There's really not much else I can say about that guy. You know, hits for average. He hits for power. He hits for power. His defensive skills are off the charts. You know, I thought he put those all on display. He's a true gap-to-gap center fielder. The jumps and the he gets and the reads off the bat he gets are absolutely amazing. You know, so Dylan Cruz, thank you for coming to LSU. And it's an absolute pleasure watching you wear the purple and gold and uh, be part of that brotherhood. And luckily, we get to watch Tommy Tanks for another year, right? We get to watch um, Thatcher Hurd come back for another year and others. So it's going to be great to see those guys develop and their maturation process over the summer. So that's going to do it for the College World Series recap and the 2023 National Champion LSU Tigers. Before I sign off on this episode, I do want to thank all the guests that I had on the show this year. I met several new friends uh, that I met doing podcasts, and I got a chance to meet them in person this year. And I want to thank them for all the help uh, inviting me on their shows, all the all you know the different things we shared over text and over Twitter. And I'm very thankful for their friendship and their help along the way. So in no particular order, uh, Zach and Reagan Lee from Tigers Avenue. I did the 2023 season hype video. Uh, They must have had a premonition when they did that video as it led to a national championship. Alex Day, Mark Garland, AJ Sessions from College Baseball Central and the Weekend Rotation podcast. Alex and I, who is an LSU fan, uh, got to be close during this year. So I appreciate all your help, buddy. Jim Cross and Randy, a.k.a. Jeezy, from the In Off the Bench podcast. Randy was our resident uh, Tennessee expert, and Jim has got the best contact list of anybody's iPhone in college baseball. This dude knows every player out there, it seems like. A very good friend of mine. I love meeting you hanging out with you, buddy. Uh, Matt Beard uh, from Spittin' Seeds 247 account. Great meeting you at the Tennessee game. Thanks for contributing all the time. Uh, Matthew Musso, Patrick Coogan, Doug Thompson, Eddie Furtis, Blair Barbier, all guests on the show. I love those guys. I appreciate all the help they gave me. Hunt Palmer, thank you for having me on your show. You're uh, on the show. He does a weekly show, 104.5 ESPN in Baton Rouge. Um, one to three, he had me on every Wednesday during the baseball season. I got one more episode to go. Catch that on 2.30. Hunt, thank you very much for that platform. Stephen Miller, my guy, met you during the fall. Mr. LSU. Thanks for all the help and the feedback, brother, and everything you brought to the table this year. You're my guy. 
uh, finally my son Jackson Demui. He did a ton, you know, he transferred back to LSU in January and um, he was just a big help. All the ideas, he helped out a lot on the live streams, on the backside of things, helping kind of produce the podcast, doing a lot of the graphics for me. So Jackson, thank you, brother. And I loved uh, hanging out with you in Omaha. And finally, look, if I don't follow any of those guys, and if you're a college baseball fan, man, those guys that I mentioned, um, all of them, great Twitter accounts, big time LSU fans, and they just trying to grow the game, right? We're all college baseball fans here, and they do an excellent job of following different teams around the country, putting out fabulous content around college baseball. So I would encourage you, if you missed any of those names, hit that back button, you know, rewind the podcast, get those names down, and uh, I'll probably tag them in a Twitter post. And um, you know, just follow those guys. And I appreciate all their help and the friendships that I've developed throughout the year. As far as future content, look, I have no idea what the future is going to hold um, and how the summer is going to shake out in terms of the draft and the transfer portal. But hopefully maybe I can have a post-draft uh, live stream, get some of those guys together, and we'll see how the 2024 LSU roster will shake out. So until next time, as always, thank you all for tuning in. Y'all stay safe and go Tigers.